So a couple of weeks ago, we began a sermon series on the book of Acts, and we're going to continue with that sermon series. But today we're diverting from it. We're in uh, Galatians because there is an issue that is so topical right now that we can't avoid it. We have to say something about it. On the 25th of May, right before we began National Reconciliation Week here in Australia, a black American by the name of George Floyd was filmed being killed by a police officer in Minneapolis, and that sparked a series of protests around the world. The mainstream media and social media are replete with a variety of perspectives and opinions from various nations, various people. Every reasonable person is outraged at the way that George Floyd died. Every reasonable person can see that it was a gross miscarriage of justice, a tragedy that should never have happened. Some argue that it's another example of systemic racism in the police. Others argue uh, that on the whole, uh, the police is not a racist organisation. And that debate is going on in the US, in the UK and here in Australia. The situation has certainly put racism, not just in the police, but racism in general, under the spotlight. Some people are saying black lives matter. Other people are saying all lives matter. There's been a real focus on the rioting and the looting, which is drawing attention away from those who are engaged in peaceful protest and muddying the waters. Some are defending the right to protest. Others are saying, look, we're in the middle of a pandemic. This is the wrong time to be doing this. And in the US in particular, you've got the toxic politics of the extreme right and the extreme left, Trump, Antifa, and all the rest of it. It's actually quite confusing. And when I started to think this through, I thought, I'm not sure I want to preach on this, but I knew that I had to say something. So I'm going to try to cut through the complexity and the confusion, and I might make mistakes, uh, but I've got to try. Let me start by saying what I'm not trying to do. I'm not trying to make a point one way or the other when it comes to institutional racism in the police, either in the US, in the UK or here in Australia. From my own limited experience as a former police chaplain in London, I can say that the majority of police officers do an excellent job under, at times, very difficult conditions. Uh, In my experience, the majority of officers treat people as they find them. When it comes to George Floyd and that specific situation, I've not come across anyone who has tried to justify the atrocious actions of those police officers. I think most people agree that it's right that they have been charged with homicide. As to the right to protest COVID-19 and the breaking of restrictions, uh, I, I don't want to get distracted by it. It's not that it's unimportant. I just don't want to focus on that. When it comes to the rioting and the looting and the vandalism of war memorials, I think it does a disservice to those who are protesting peacefully. Seems that the protests have been subverted, hijacked even, by people who have no real concern for the cause. And it's diverting attention away from the real issue, the one that I want to talk about today, which is this. There are deep divisions between human beings on all kinds of levels. 
But racial division, and particularly the division between white and black, is one of the most obvious, and it's one of the most ugly, and it has led to the perpetration of the most hideous and appalling evil. But let's start with division in the general sense. Human beings love to put boundary markers in place, boundary markers that enable one group to feel superior to another. Those markers can be based on almost anything, wealth, education, class, nationality, sex, race, and so on. We like to define ourselves against the other. We like to elevate ourselves above the rest. It makes us feel good about ourselves and often it can work to our advantage. It's a sad fact that divisions motivated by greed, fear, insecurity, pride, arrogance, and spite have always been a feature of human society. If everyone in the world looked more or less the same, there would still be deep divisions in our society. For example, England has a terrible legacy of football violence. Fans uh, often walk through a tunnel of riot police to get from the tube station, the underground station, to the stadium. Uh, Opposing fans enter the stadium at different ends and once inside they're separated by huge fences. Over the years, many football fans, not necessarily hooligans, but ordinary fans, have been seriously injured and even killed just because they were wearing the wrong colour shirt. Of course, I'm not comparing football violence to racism. A football fan can take their shirt off. A person cannot change the colour of their skin. I'm not making the comparison. I'm simply identifying that human beings are extremely divisive. And as we'll see, the good news of Jesus addresses the problem of division in our society, every kind of division. But historically, the kind of division that is most persistent and damaging is that between different people groups, tribes, nations, races. Actually, I don't like using the word uh, race or races to talk about human beings because there is only one race, the human race. We're all made in God's image. We are all equally valuable in God's eyes. And I wish we could all see that. But according to the Oxford Dictionary, the definition of racism is prejudice, discrimination or antagonism directed against someone of a different race or the belief that one's race is superior. Racism exists. And I think we can recognize that racism can be directed at anyone, regardless of the colour of their skin or their ethnic background. And, and and I've heard people say racism can go both ways. And of course, that's true. Uh, there will be people watching this who are not black, who have experienced racism, and it will have been extremely hurtful and painful and damaging. And, and I don't want to downplay those experiences. Racism is abhorrent in whatever form it takes. However, I don't think it's wrong at this time especially, to focus on racism against black people and anti-blackness, because there are factors that make this a particularly virulent and world-changing form of racism. I saw an interview with Martin Luther King Jr. from uh, 1967, and the interviewer began with this question, and the question is loaded with prejudice. He asked, and, and you'll excuse the language, I'm just quoting what he asked, But he said, uh, what is it about the Negro? 
I mean, every other group that came as immigrants somehow, not easily, but somehow got around it. Is it just the fact that Negroes are black? He's basically saying, well, every other ethnic group has managed to fit in. Why can't you? And here is part of Martin Luther King Jr.'s reply. He said, white America must see that no other ethnic group has been a slave on American soil. That is the one thing that other immigrant groups haven't had to face. The other thing is that the colour became a stigma. American society deliberately made his colour a stigma and something worthless and degrading. He also talked about the fact that the slaves were freed in 1863, but without anything to get started. They had no land, no resources, and they continued to experience the, the, the most brutal and persistent racism. It's actually quite extraordinary and hugely to their credit that African-Americans have made, uh, uh, have achieved so much in such a short uh, space of time. Given that starting point, given the obstacles, given the fact that it's only been 157 years since they were freed. I mean, 157 years is not a long period of time. It's only a few generations. And why do we imagine that black people wouldn't still feel hurt and angry about such terrible treatment? I'm sure, I'm sure there's some who don't necessarily feel hurt and angry, but for those who do, how can we blame them? I've heard some people trying to explain racism away, as if it's a thing of the past, as if we've somehow moved on from it. At our last church in London, um, it was a black majority church, and I had uh, many conversations with people from the Caribbean who came to England in the 1950s and 60s as part of the Windrush generation. Uh, people who remember reading signs uh, outside hostels, which read, no Irish, no blacks, no dogs. In some cases, signs outside churches, which read no blacks. That is an absolute disgrace. The fact that they were worshipping in church alongside white people and had been for decades is almost a miracle of grace and forgiveness. Here in Australia, Aboriginal children were being taken away from their families right up until 1970, the stolen generation. Some might argue that they were often being taken away from squalid conditions and parents who couldn't cope. But one has to ask, well, why were those families in that situation in the first place? That's all within living memory. Do we really suppose that that kind of prejudice has just gone away, that it's evaporated? Yes, society has changed. Public opinion has changed, but not enough. Our history has left a thick residue of racism. As I said, racism is not only directed at black people. Someone could be racist towards me and that would be unacceptable as well. But the backdrop, all that's gone before, makes a difference. It makes a difference to the impact of that racism. It makes a difference to the way those words are perceived. For the past five or six hundred years, black people have been subject to extreme and prolonged racism. And that's why we're in this uh, situation today where we've got protests around the world. So how does the gospel speak into this? Well, the message of the Bible as a whole is one of 
reconciliation. Firstly, reconciliation between humankind and God. And secondly, reconciliation between human beings. The one leads into the other. We can't have reconciliation between one another until we have reconciliation with God. In the Old Testament, the Torah, the, the Jewish law, Israel was instructed to treat the other, to treat the outsider with far more equity than the surrounding nations would have done. The law made provision for the inclusion, protection and support of foreigners. But in the New Testament with Jesus, it goes to a whole new level. Uh, at the time of Jesus, there were three main boundary markers in society, three main differences that determined your role, your status, and even your value as a human being. The difference between Jews and Gentiles or non-Jews, the difference between slave and free, and the difference between male and female. Uh, they were the three main divisions, and they definitely led to certain groups of people feeling superior to other groups. But for Christians, these boundary markers get torn down as soon as we give our lives to Christ. Listen again to Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, uh, nor is there male or female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Your ethnicity, Jew or Gentile, your status, slave or free, your sex, male or female, has no bearing on your inclusion and it has no bearing on your value. We are all one in Christ Jesus. The church is supposed to demonstrate to the world what society should be like now and what it will be like when Jesus returns. So how do we do this? And specifically, how do we do this when it comes to relating to our brothers and sisters who don't share our ethnicity? Well, the first thing is to examine ourselves. Most of us probably don't consider ourselves to be racist, but the question is, are we anti-racist? Are we prepared to search ourselves and root out any attitudes, behaviours or thought patterns that are not conducive to removing those old barriers that divide us on the basis of race? The writer Ijeoma Oluwa wrote this. She said, the beauty of anti-racism is that you don't have to pretend to be free from racism to be anti-racist. Anti-racism is the commitment to fight racism wherever you find it, including in yourself. And it's the only way forward. This is not about seeing racism in everything. It's not about blowing things out of proportion. It's simply recognizing that actually wherever we grew up in the world, there were probably aspects of our culture that left some residue of racism on us. To function properly as a church, we need to identify racism where it exists, starting with ourselves, repent of it and move beyond it. Equally, if we've been on the receiving end of racism, then we might need to ask God to help us to forgive. Somehow we must let go of the bitterness and the resentment. For there to be reconciliation, there must be repentance and forgiveness. So we need to be anti-racist in our outlook. We may need to repent. We may need to forgive. We may need to do both. We cannot destroy racism where there is unrepentance and bitterness. 
But more than anything, we need to live our lives together in such a way that demonstrates the unity of the Holy Spirit, to demonstrate that within the church, the old boundary markers have been abolished. I think it's such a blessing that we have a diverse congregation, people from all over the world. And my prayer is that our love and unity will continue to increase because it's such a powerful witness to the world, especially at a time like this. Now, I guess someone could say, look, you're talking about divisions and boundary markers. Isn't being part of the church a way of forming yourself into a little clique, a kind of us and them type scenario? Well, no, because the church is open to everyone. Jesus is available to everyone. Anyone in the world can repent, put them, uh, um, put their faith in Jesus and uh, become part of the church. And the better we demonstrate God's intention for human society and human relationships, the more people will discover the wonderful truth of the gospel. Racism and all kinds of division are sad realities of our world. And the only answer is the unity that is found in Christ Jesus. Within the church, we recognize that each person is made in the image of God, equally loved, equally valuable and equally included. So in a situation like this, we ask, well, how do we respond to this as a church? And the answer, or at least part of the answer, is that we offer hope to a divided world by giving an example of a community that is free from the old uh, barriers and dividing lines. So let us move forward together in love, unity, and mutual respect.